positive reaction today on it about announcing the series. Really? Good. Yeah, a lot of people were excited. Well, that's exciting. I'm excited about doing it already. <laughs> How the stars have aligned. For once in our lives, we're enjoying the movies that we get to watch. <laughs> I mean, really... <laughs> You you like okay so let, to like just give you a peek behind the curtain here you know you're like you think to yourself perhaps we really like watching movies we we really do sometimes <laughs> like watching movies uh, and you're like oh maybe we could do a podcast where we you could listen to us talk about movies that we've watched and then we somehow managed to do a lot of movies that we really hated the experience of watching. <laughs> incredible so we did it for you dear listener no one else <laughs> and uh now fresh out yeah, the oven it it's does. cinema bombs <laughs> wait wait what, what wait what were you gonna i was say? just gonna say i was gonna say it feels like maybe twice a year if we're lucky we get to cover <laughs> movies we like to watch yeah on this podcast yeah and they both happened during remember the name yeah, I at least try to watch. I normally watch like at least one other movie a week in addition to the one podcast mm-hmm. movie. So that's not sort of like the only media I take in because I don't watch any TV. So it's not like The Lion King 2 is the only thing I see in one week. <laughs> this summer, the only thing I watched was Twilight and Dennyville New of Movies. And that was it. <laughs> it was a grim summer. <laughs> well i'm excited that i get to be on the series that you're actually excited about is what i'm hearing yeah well and it's also it's like why we get you know i think when we get back to watching movies in theaters on a regular basis this will be more you know going and watching movies is like very exciting anyway i've seen a couple did i tell you guys that i met Kristen stewart like a couple weeks ago no you told me you were going to wait what how was it i went to a screening of spencer her princess diana movie and like at the end of it her and the director came out and like did like a little q a session about it wow it was cool we knew that was going to happen but it was just at like a regular movie theater like it was a regular ticket price and then like very awkwardly at the end of the movie they came and like stood at the front in front of the screen <laughs> and answered questions what did, what sort of things did they say? They talked a little about the influences and the costumes and stuff. People were mostly asking questions about the things that the two of them had nothing to do with. <laughs> like people were asking about the music and the costumes <laughs> and the script. And it's like, well, you've got the director and the actor here. But it was cool and really weird. And she's definitely gonna she's definitely gonna win the Oscar for it. Mark my words now. Okay. Wow. I considered wearing my Robert Pattinson shirt from our Twilight announcement video, but from I Cold Boy Summer. That might not be the move <laughs> when you're going to be uh, the Princess of Wales. Seems a little cavalier. Well, after this wonderfully rambling, what do we, what would you call this? You know, the time right before the timer goes off in the kitchen, and then. Fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm Wade. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are continuing our miniseries, The House Bummy, covering every film written by Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Wade, 
How are you doing? I'm doing good, Emma. How are you? I am doing well. You know, as we were saying, excited to be working on these fun movies. We realized too late that we should have called the series Legally Bummed instead of The House Bumming. Yeah, that is that is better. How does bum play in? Because uh, of cinema bums. Uh, cinema, I'm so sorry. The, because of the podcast, you're on <laughs> cinema bums. Right. Um, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you were wondering, dear listener, who this mysterious voice is, th- that's the other reason I'm really happy to be here today is because today we're honored to have a special guest. She's a writer and comedian, perhaps best known to our audience as the creator of the Change.org petition, Remake Legally Blonde with our greatest living actress, Anna Kendrick. Yep. Uh, please welcome <laughs> Kate Evans. Thank you. I knew as soon as you said, probably best known for, I knew exactly <laughs> I was going to somehow wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for being back. Thanks for yes. taking the stairs with us once again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, but I'm happy to be back on a, a movie I feel so differently about than the last movie that we watched. <laughs> Have you seen this movie and or the other McCullough and Smith films before? I have seen Legally Blonde before. It's been a while. And I think I've seen most of the other films in the series. When you saw it before, did you like it? Did you have good memories of it? Yeah. Yes. I watched it. Okay. I know I watched it in high school and I thought it was really fun. And then I watched it again a couple of years ago. And I remember being like, wow, that movie held up way better than I thought it was going to. And I still really enjoyed it. I was probably more like charmed by it than genuinely thinking this is one of the greatest movies ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then going into it again, just this weekend, I was terrified that I was like, that movie holds up <laughs> <laughs> a couple years ago. And then I was uh-huh. going to watch this again and be like, what was I thinking? <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> this is technically my third time watching it. Nice. But you didn't watch it as a kid. I mean, in high school, I watched it. Yeah, okay. not, but not younger than that. Wait, how about you? Um, had you seen this before? No, I was I was always aware of this movie. I think maybe my mom had it on DVD. Although I was always confused in my head, this and Miss Congeniality, hmm. which my mom also had on DVD. But I, I like knew what it was, but I guess I always thought it was more of an adult R-rated comedy mm-hmm. as a kid mm-hmm. and, and didn't watch it until for this podcast. Hmm. Emma, what about you? I hadn't seen it until earlier this summer when I watched it with my sisters and liked it then and then watched it again. Had they seen it or did you all? They had both seen it before and were like, yeah, let's rewatch this. And I was also there and was like, yeah, let's do it. And then it was good and I watched it again and knowing where it was going, I liked it even more like on a a rewatch, I think. I think it like holds mm. up even even better. The things about it that are I think like the things that you like about her character are even more likable on a second go through in some yeah. way. Yeah. Mm. So Wade, mm-hmm. what are the stats for Legally Blonde? Yes, Legally Blonde is the second film written by Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith. It was directed by Robert Lukatic, who is once again a first-time director. Like last week with 10 Things I Hate About You. He's an Australian guy and we'll talk about him later in the series because he also directs The Ugly Truth. Okay. We'll look out for any connections between these two. 
But this is adapted from the 2003 novel Legally Blonde by Amanda Brown. How could a movie be adapted from a book that comes out two years after the movie? Well, you'll have to wait and listen (laughs) to find out. But once again, an adaptation from Nicola and Smith. Uh, The score is by Rolf Kent, who is my favorite Muppet. (laughs) It runs one hour and 36 minutes, blessedly. (laughs) Released on my seventh birthday, July 13th, 2001. And it was a huge success at the time. The 18 million budget in a box office of 141. Wow. Which is more than double the big success of 10 Things, which did 60 million on a similar budget. And it was mixed to positive critical reaction at the time, but obviously has gone on to have a huge impact on the culture, I would say. And we'll talk Mm -hmm. about that a little bit. But Emmett, how uh, how would you explain what happens in this film to anyone who hasn't seen it? So the story is about young Elle Woods, who at the beginning of the film we find in her senior year of undergraduate college. She's the president of her sorority. At the beginning of the movie, she believes that she's about to be proposed to by her very rich and maybe headed for important things kind of doofus boyfriend. (laughs) What's his name? Is it Warren? Or no, Warner. 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 Oh my gosh. I mean, I I love every I love all of the casting in this movie so much. But he's particularly hateable. So she thinks that she's going to get proposed to by him. Instead, he breaks up with her because basically um, the implication is she's not serious enough and he has to go and get his life serious and try and be a senator. And so he's going to Harvard Law School and she's just not that serious for him. She's devastated and she decides, by God, she's going to go to Harvard Law School and follow him there, prove to him that she is a serious person and that he belongs with her, as Taylor Swift would say. (laughs) And she does it. First off, she just does that. She just decides to do that and then she does that thing. She is like in the like end of the second semester of her senior year. She's like, yes, I'm going to Harvard Law School because I have a 4.0. She makes the best admission video of all time or the best, uh, you know, application video of all time. It's directed by one of the Coppola's, but they don't say which one. They don't say if they pull Francis out of retirement <laughs> or if it's Sophia or God forbid, if it's Gia, That's they leave that purposefully blank. So then she gets in, shows up there only to discover that her man Warner has been snatched by this horrible, this horrible girl <laughs> oh, no. who hates her guts. And thinks that she's dumb and stupid and not serious also. And who really just gives her a hard time. At which point we feel very sorry for young Elwoods. And also feel like maybe Warner was kind of a tool and not worth her time. Meanwhile, she discovers a wonderful friend in the bumbling but lovable Paulette, who is a manicurist in town who's having relationship troubles of her own. 
and also custodial battles over a dog. And may we also mention friggin' Bruiser, <laughs> who is Elle's cutest little boy, a little chihuahua dog that she takes with teacup chihuahua. She takes with them everywhere. And usually I don't even like chihuahuas, but this one is cute. And it goes everywhere and has little outfits. Pretty amazing. Honestly, I don't know what the plot of this movie was. I was in it for Bruiser's outfits alone. I was like, oh, now we're doing a cowboy thing. It's an incredible dog performance. Like, part of the thrill of this movie is just seeing all the things they got that dog to do so casually. Yeah, and that dog, like, that dog, like, growls at people that that dog shouldn't like and, like, does all sorts of cool dog stuff like that. You're so right. I looked up the dog on uh, Wikipedia, and apparently he started in a, a couple films and lived with... Mm-hmm. The Taco Bell Chihuahua dog. So they were kind of a power couple because he, yeah, they, they live together. So that's all we can assume. But yeah. So there's even a joke about that in the movie because they have the Taco Bell commercial in there and he's looking at his friend. Oh, the, yeah. the dog is like watching that. the Taco Bell commercial at once. His name is Mooney, the actor. He unfortunately passed away in 2016. He lived really long. <laughs> that's like. That is really long time for a dog. That's that is nuts. He did live with Gidget, as you said, who was the female dog known for the Taco Bell commercials. It doesn't say they were married, so maybe some sort of although maybe they were common law married, as this movie proposes by the end of their relationship. Yeah, could be. As this movie progresses, the the third act is like, oh, surprise, there's going to be a plot now. Or like, (laughs) there's going to be like a plot with some urgency, I should say. Because like, other than like most of what's going on is she's like pursuing her boyfriend there. And like, we see her, she's made fun of at law school by everyone. No one is taking her seriously at Mm -hmm. first. Teachers, fellow students, you know, everyone is disrespecting her. But through her, like, perseverance, you know, her pragmatic wits and her just, like, good nature, she basically excels and comes to triumph over these snooty assholes. And then... Towards the end, she gets hired for a team that is defending. This is where it gets, like, like I say, a complicated plot that would be in a whole movie in something else is then in the last, (laughs) is in the last 20 minutes of this film. I was watching, I was like, no way is it, are we six minutes to credits and I am just now in the courtroom. I think we what said is, that too. What is happening? <laughs> and so she's there, she's defending, their team is defending a sorority sister of hers who is accused of murdering her husband. She knows that she didn't do it because she's the, the woman has confessed to her, her alibi. The alibi is so shameful that she won't reveal it. And Elle has agreed not to reveal it to anyone else also. So she's gained her trust, but now she won't you know, tell the court then there's also this bit that gets layered in also in like the last 10 minutes that the guy the teacher professor who who has been like hiring them for this internship and who has been defending this woman and who's like the head lawyer on the case he's he's like surrounding himself with young women to be his assistants so that he can like hit on them and harass them and get them to like sleep with him in exchange for him giving them good positions in the company. And he like makes this clear to her, to her at some point and she gets pissed off about it and leaves. 
but then the other girl who's hated her this whole time and who she slowly started to like have a good friendship with like sees it happen and is like you know she thinks that she sees something else and thinks that she sees her like agreeing to it and that this has like been what she's been up to the whole time so there's this whole very complicated thing which i think is a really interesting plot but it's also in like five ten minutes of the movie overall and it feels like it could i don't know it's like a whole act unto itself do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. then at the end of all of this she says i'm gonna do this my own way this guy's an asshole but i'm still gonna defend this lady because you know she's innocent so she goes in and she's questioning the daughter because she has a hunch about the daughter and she figures it out she figures out the daughter had a perm therefore she couldn't have been in the shower where she said she was therefore it must have been her that did it and she admits to it in a moment of passion in the courtroom the whole thing like crashes down on them cut to three years later they're graduating she's top of her class everybody loves her she's amazing her doofus boyfriend is doofus left out in the cold the other girl who she didn't like for a long time you know like they they made up they're friends again her girl paulette got her dog back and married the hot ups guy you know and then she's like about to hook up with the hot luke wilson whose name in this movie i might say is emmett so that makes two <laughs> movie series we've covered with my name in it so i think that's pretty fun i guess only one with wade which only one deadpool deadpool mm. yeah how did you feel about the emmett representation emmett do you think <laughs> better or worse than twilight and also the lego movie which is the only other one i can think of off the top of my head i would say better than twilight not as good as the lego movie <laughs> it's all on a spectrum now i have a question for you flop or bop kate definitely a bop yeah it's just such a feel-good fun movie it's really charming every character is really funny and um i think everything that could be better about the movie is really forgivable to me because of the whole experience of watching it yeah there actually i watched it with wade and there was one point where wade (laughs) When she like gets to be the head lawyer on the case, Wade was like, surely that isn't allowed <laughs> before they explained the weird legal loophole uh-huh. where now she for some reason gets to be the head lawyer, even though she's a first year law student and is like not licensed at all. So uh-huh. anyway, it's just like things like that feel really forgivable because it's such like a, a heartwarming movie to me. So definitely a bop. Wade, flop or bop? A bop for me as well. I really liked it. I think her performance is so good Mm. in like this wild technical way. And when I watched it, because the movie starts and she is like the fully formed character already and she doesn't change the whole movie. Like it's not a story of how she becomes this wild, crazy character or about other people convincing her she shouldn't be this wild, crazy character. And so I thought at first that maybe it was like a, Ted Lasso thing where this had been like a character in like commercials or an SNL bit or something that Mm. was like becoming a movie because it was so sketched out from the very beginning but Mm. I think that she is just like incredible in it Um, Mm. I think the score is really great and heightens everything which I want to talk about a little bit I was very thrown watching it for the first time by the sexual harassment plot and how that is handled. I think probably like you guys were saying, I would like it more a second time knowing that the movie is going there, Mm -hmm. but not in a way that it's doing anything wrong, just in that it is so different from everything else in the movie. It was like very shocking to watch the first time. 
And I also will say, this is probably all I'll say in comparison, but I do think that 10 Things I Hate About You, I enjoyed much more. Not growing up with either of these movies, I just think that one has like the supporting cast like sketched out a little bit more than this one and also has like a higher joke per minute rate than this one does. But I think that is a really great movie and I hope it does not cast too much of a shadow on all the other at least good movies we're going to watch in this series because I did think this was good and I really liked watching. Uh, Emmett's Flop or Bob? Yeah, I definitely think it's a bop also. I think it is consistently funny. I watched this after having watched several of the Nightmare on Elm Street films in a row directly before it. And it was such a nice palate cleanser because I was like, (laughs) oh, I don't have to stress at all watching this. Things are just going to be okay. Like, I really like this character and everything she does is going to be good. It's just that kind of movie. (laughs) Really, really comforting after watching a bunch of horror movies all in a row. I definitely agree with what you're saying about um, her character being so full and so likable. I think I just love how resilient her character is. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. so much of it is about her fighting with cultural expectations about her personality or her intellect because of her appearance. And I just feel like for every woman, it's such a frustrating experience, but she's just so... She doesn't seem to get too stressed out about it. Obviously, horrible things happen. People are really mean to her. Like They won't let her into the study group and they like Mm -hmm. throw a party and tell her it's a costume party and like call her a slut when she shows up. That's like traumatizing. (laughs) But she doesn't seem like it hurts her feelings, but she is just really good at putting it behind her and plugging on. And I just think that's a really fun character to watch. It also never shakes how generous she is to other people. The bend and snap montage is like kind of insane, but very fun that she's like offering this little trick up to everybody. And then the ridiculous scene with, I forget the name of the character, but the really tall guy in her uh, Uh class. Yeah. Uh, and he's like not great with girls and uh these girls are making fun of him (laughs) for asking them out they're like we would never go out with you (laughs) and Elle comes up to him and like slaps him across the face and makes this big show of being like you never called me back and I was in love with you and you broke my heart and she leaves and the girls are like can we go out which is insane that after hearing that this dude like blew off the last woman he was with, the girls are like, that guy, I want him. But still, it's just, it's fun that she seems to be um, just really good natured towards everyone she meets. That's one of the best scenes in the movie, I think. Yeah. Where she tells him that he has given her the greatest pleasure she's ever known. <laughs> yeah, and she's really smart too, which I think is a great... Yeah little subversion and she's really smart from the beginning like that's yeah. how she gets into harvard yeah because yeah. she gets a 179 on her LSAT, right yeah and they have that scene of her buying the dress and the saleswoman assuming that she's an idiot and trying to like pull one over on her i guess and she just immediately is like i know what you're doing yeah i love that stuff i feel like the point that like I really took away from it. Uh, the movie as a whole was about just like how we are so quick to like judge people based on appearances. 
I feel like that's mm. one of the big points they're making and maybe even throwing some other things under the bus to like make that point. But I think it's saying like you just look at how she looks and everyone like across this entire movie, everyone, even the people who like her, like immediately think one thing about her. And there are like so many other things that are like denied to her because of that, you know, and so many other things that are true about her. So I thought that came across like really clearly for me. Yeah, definitely. I also think too about like part of her power coming from like people don't think she's serious, but she she is serious in some way. When she goes to like save the lady, she's serious, but she's still having fun. She's not like so self-serious and heavy and boring about it. She still like shows up in a pink suit and is like having a great time when she's at the court. She's still skilled at it and she takes like that seriously. And I think that's an interesting kind of dichotomy that could also have something to do with, you know, could be something that they're playing in the realm of law, but could also be a commentary on the the art form itself too. Because I feel like there's a lot of that where like, you know, you take it super seriously, but then you're like oh is it actually good like the the movie itself could be written off for Hmm. being a light comedy in the same way that she's written off but like it is serious too yeah that's interesting i like that point yeah actually just today randomly i was reading a list that letterbox put out of like the movies that had had the most positive change in their reviews over the last 10 years and this Mm -hmm. was one of them Mm, that like close to it coming out it was not reviewed by people just watching in the moment very highly, but like now it's considered a classic. And I think part of it is that thing that we like don't, don't give a lot of credit to comedies or to fun movies, Mm -hmm. but I bet it holds up a lot more than like the dramas of 2001, (laughs) whatever points they were making. (laughs) For sure. Oh, you mentioned Warner earlier, Emmett. What? Mm -hmm. How how do we all feel about the relationships <laughs> in Nell's life? I love that she has his headshot framed by her bedside. And just <laughs> looks at that. I think that pretty much sums up what we need to know about this toxic relationship. <laughs> now she, it definitely feels like she worshipped this idiot. <laughs> he has such a movie star intro when he comes in the first time, yes. and it's that's like basically a musical number almost choreographed with like the women all looking at the same time and like hitting his mark and turning to her (laughs) like that stuff is so funny i love pooh bear i love that he just gives that Mm -hmm. nickname out like candy to anyone Mm -hmm. he's with Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's calling her pooh bear then vivian the second he's trying to get l back (laughs) he switches it right back onto her (laughs) that's the one thing he's set on yes pooh bear yeah, he can commit to that at least. I think it's an interesting wrinkle that Vivian ha- does have an earlier claim to him. Mm-hmm. In any other movie, it would be like a simpler relationship conundrum that Vivian is just like the new hot girl who replaced her and that we hate. Yeah, but right. Vivian like is his high school sweetheart who he was with before he went to college and fell in love with Elle or started dating Elle. <laughs> <laughs> He's so mean to her. It's insane the things he says to her. Yeah, he sucks. He sucks. He straight up is like, honey, you're not smart. That's so mean. She is. And he's so dumb. (laughs) Obviously, the ridiculous way she gets into Harvard does not really happen (laughs) 
in real life, I would guess not that much. But I feel like kind of a subtle point the movie is making is the way that he gets into Harvard does happen all the time. Mm, And that is like as ridiculous of a thing, which is that he wasn't good enough. And then his dad who went to Harvard like calls and then he gets in. Yeah. And that to me is like no more ridiculous than her putting a huge amount of work and effort and bringing (laughs) Francis Ford Coppola out of retirement (laughs) to film the best video essay of all time. (laughs) This movie's use of montage is truly incredible. Mm. It's like one of the great joys of this film. How many are there? There must be at least four. So yeah, I was going to say three or four. And they're all set to... Perfect day. It's a perfect day. <laughs> yeah, the movie does start and end on the same song. Yeah, they it's like really that song. A, It's really a beautiful circle. <laughs> so I read that they uh, wrote the Luke Wilson part specifically for Luke Wilson. Wow. Which I have two thoughts about. One is that I think he is like so charming and good in that role. Secondly, it's shocking for me to hear that because he has no personality attributes whatsoever. And almost no lines. Yeah, he doesn't do much. <laughs> He's got to be in like maybe four minutes of this hour and a half movie. Yeah. And like most of that is him just silently smiling. Yeah. <laughs> and going, no, let her finish. Let her do it. When anyone else in the world would be like, you are tanking this case. <laughs> The defendant is going to go to jail for murder because of what you're doing right now. Like she was, she was messing up big time. She believes in her because of the power of love. (laughs) I love that he has sort of like the role that a girlfriend would have in another movie where like the job is kind of just to be attractive and support the hero and not do anything or have a personality. I love that. (laughs) Like it's just gender flipping. I don't even know if we see them kiss before it's revealed to us that he is going to propose to her at the very end. No, I don't don't even know if we see like a single moment of them like coming together. You're right. It's just like, she's like, we don't see a spark of chemistry. I'll tell you that. Well, the okay, so this is what I found in the research. The original ending to the movie that they shot was that, like, the court case finishes, they go out onto the court steps, and her and Emmett kiss. And then it cuts to one year later, and Vivian is blonde now. And her and Elle are running a legal blondes club at Harvard. (laughs) And that's the end of the movie. Oh my god. And apparently test audiences didn't like that. <laughs> For some reason. Uh, and they did it in like a reshoot like a year later. Well, well, while they were all filming other movies, those are all wigs in the last scene I read. Really? Um, because everyone else was filming different movies, but they like met up in a chapel to film that one day. Oh my god. I am very charmed by the where are they now sequence thing. <laughs> they do the little, the little like Vivian and Al are best friends now. <laughs> Warner graduated with no girlfriend, no job prospects, <laughs> and no anything. <laughs> like, it was so dramatic and fun. <laughs> I love whenever movies do that for fictional characters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to explain where they are in the real world <laughs> exactly. now. 
I've got to say there's one of probably the most useless subtitling I've ever seen in my entire life in that final scene, (laughs) which is that we cut to the final scene. It's clearly her graduation. (laughs) It looks like a graduation. (laughs) And she goes up (laughs) to speak and she says, class of 2004, here we are at our Harvard graduation. (laughs) And then in subtitles across the bottom of the screen, it says two years later. (laughs) As though they had not already said what year it was in the dialogue. (laughs) Oh man. It was a different time, you know? Okay. I was, okay. Wait, I was thinking that this thing I'm about to say happened in the graduation scene, but I think it's the courtroom scene where her dad shows up with a martini. (laughs) Because the only other time we saw him was the beginning of the movie with the martini martini. at the pool. So the director was like, give him a martini so everyone remembers who this guy is. I think that's such a great little, like, character background moment. Yeah, We only see her her parents for 30 seconds of the movie, but it makes total sense. Yeah, totally. It's it's really fun. My last two jobs were firstly working at a salon and secondly working with lawyers. So I felt oh, yeah. I felt very in the trenches of this movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. In both worlds this movie is talking about. Wait, is there some behind the scenes drama you would like to to share with us? <laughs> Uh, Yes, a lot of this behind-the-scenes drama was taken from Alana Kaplan's oral history in the New York Times this year, which is very good. But the whole this whole series movie idea starts with Amanda Brown, who is kind of the real-life Elle Woods. She went to Stanford in the '90s, and she was like very similar to Elle, like always wore pink, constantly was reading Elle magazine, which is the reason why she named her Elle Woods, and she didn't fit in with anyone there. Uh, We actually have a quote from her here in the notes. Do you want to read this quote, Emmett? I do not, but I will. From the real Amanda Brown? (laughs) Okay, this is from the real Amanda Brown, and it's interesting that a later movie in this series will be called The Ugly Truth. This is a real quote from her. I was in my first week of law school in 1993, and I saw this flyer for the women of Stanford Law. So I was like, I'll go and meet some nice girls, whatever. I went to the meeting, and these were not women. These were were really angry people. The woman who was leading it spent three years at Stanford trying to change the name Semester to Ovester. I started laughing, and I realized everyone in the room took it very seriously, so I didn't make any friends there. That was real? That's what she says. Because that line's in the movie. It's like like at the party or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's like like a background chaff line. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so that's Amanda Brown. She writes this into like a fictional account that's based on the real letters she sent her parents while she was at law school. I think she gets an agent. She sends it out on actual pink scented paper. The story is that they sent it out to like publishing houses and to movie studios to get the movie rights to it in the same day. And there was like a bidding war for the movie rights, but no one would publish it. Like no one wanted to publish the book, but all the movie studios were like down to produce the movie of it. And the guy who got it is Mark Platt, who's Ben Platt's father. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> and the producer of Josie and the Pussycats right before, <laughs> which this movie has a few like references deep to. And he's sort of like the head of the franchise through all the other things that do with it. 
But he gets the rights. He hires McCullough and Smith in 1999, just as 10 Things is coming out, to write the script. The first script they write is very, like, American Pie-esque, raunchy, Mm. R-rated sex comedy. And there's none of the empowerment stuff. There isn't the character of Paulette at all. There isn't the sexual harassment. It ends with her dating the professor. And that's, like, the big end of the movie. (laughs) You know, a happy ending in 1999. (laughs) (laughs) and then i think it you know and obviously develops from there the director robert lukatek is an australian director this is truly crazy he had only done one thing before this which is a short australian film um it's 13 minutes it's a 13 minute musical and it's called this is the name of the movie it's called tiziana (laughs) booberini I cannot believe you made it through saying that. I know. When you started laughing, I was like, what is this going to be? I watched it. It's that bad. You watched watched it today. Wow. It's kind of funny. It has nothing to do with the title. The title is never acknowledged. It's very, that seems very misleading. It's a musical about a woman in a grocery store who, who works as a grocery store clerk who has like a little bit of a mustache is teased for it and then gets like laser removal for it (laughs) (laughs) anyway what i'm saying here is this is a time in hollywood where you could be a man who had made one short film (laughs) called titserina booberini (laughs) and people watched it and liked it and were like yeah we'll give him a hollywood movie that was all it took wow and he said that he spent like two years waiting for a script that spoke to him and this was the one that did you know he pitched like himself for this for legally blonde by saying like as someone who's passionate about others not being judged based on their appearances i wrote a tragic 13 minute (laughs) short film in which the main character (laughs) and that's why i deserve to direct Lee Blonde. He's the female empowerment guy. I just <laughs> keep looking. Go. I just keep looking at this in all caps. Tiziana Boomerini. <laughs> That's too um, good. Too good. Did you watch it? Was it on YouTube or something? It is on YouTube. It's only in 480p, so it looks like you're watching a VHS tape that someone film recorded, basically. How many views does it have? (laughs) I don't know. Um, But one more than it did yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, so he gets it. Reese Witherspoon, who breaks out as a teen actor. She's in Cruel Intentions. She's in Election. But those, I guess, are very serious roles. And she's trying, she's been like trying to get like bubbly comedic roles and no one is giving them to her. And so this is like her major breakout in that, that I think she had to do like rounds and rounds of auditions because no one would believe her as a comedic actress. That's crazy because it's hard for me to imagine anyone else as Elle Woods. I know that's because we've seen the movie, but still, it's just, she seems so perfect for it. So I guess the only other thing to talk about is where the franchise goes from here. There's a sequel in 2003, which is an entirely different creative team. Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde. Has anyone seen that? No, but I am planning on it soon. Ooh. Ooh, okay. 
I am sick now because of the way that we listen, the way we watch movies for this podcast. So now the only way that I consume things is by binging the entire series. If there's a series, I must complete it. (laughs) (laughs) Once I begin, I cannot stop. Then in 2007, there's a Broadway musical, Legally Blonde the Musical, which is by Lawrence O'Keefe, Nell Benjamin, and Heather Hack. Runs for two years. Any experience with this? I have seen that, and I do sing the music every time I'm in the car by myself. So, yes. (laughs) Experience level high. (laughs) Evan, have you seen the musical? I have not, but I have heard it referenced, heard songs from it. I mean, you know how it is at theater school. People are always singing songs from different things and then being like, this is from that, this is from that. And you're never really quite sure where you stand with any of it. And people laugh because your name's Emmett. They say your name in the song. Mm. (laughs) Oh, I see. That's all I know about the musical. Yeah, I have not seen it either, but I have heard a lot about it. I know theaters, like local theaters that have done productions of it. And Laura showed me a little bit of, there's a like a pro shop version on YouTube of the Broadway production Uh that MTV produced. Um, Because apparently MTV did a whole show, like a reality show where they searched the country to find the actress who would play Elle Woods. Whoa one of the replacements on Broadway. So I watch it. It seems pretty good. And I feel like a lot of the movie's continuing appeal is because of the musical too. I believe that. Yeah. How is the musical different? Do you have any any comparisons? I think it's really similar plot wise. There are a couple things that I think they did learn from the movie they needed to flesh out. Like they, they kind of flesh out the sexual harassment thing a little Mm. bit. Not, it's not like it has a ton of airtime, but she at least like, has a song where it, it feels like it fits more in the plot because she says like how everyone made fun of her here because of her looks. And now this seems to indicate to her that she only got the internship because he wanted to sleep with her. She doesn't belong here. Like no, truly no one takes her seriously. Even the one person who she thought believed in her because he gave her the internship, mm. which was like mm. her big win in right. law school. So that felt like a little, like it felt more connected to the larger story. But I, I mean, I think it's close. I think it's it's really fun. I think it takes some of the best pieces of the movie and makes them, like expands on them. There's a whole song about when she figures out that the pool boy who's saying he slept with Brooke is actually gay. There's an mm. entire song of her figuring out he's gay which was like a very silly part of the movie but only lasted probably for like 30 seconds the bend and snap number is really fun the video essay Mm. is a whole song oh so i just i think that they they did a great job at picking yeah like picking what would translate really well to a musical number because all the music is just really really fun it's a good ensemble they like keep the sorority girls they kind of become a Greek chorus in her head when she goes to Harvard. So she's like walking around Mm. Harvard and her friends are like imaginary, but they'll do a lot of big numbers behind her. And that's kind of how they keep the energy of the musical so that it isn't just a whole bunch of solos because there really aren't that many characters when she gets to Harvard. But yeah, it's very fun. Does Emmett have a song? Yeah, Emmett's got a couple songs. There's a song where she takes him. (laughs) 
He has the song about like getting her to study harder and work harder. He's also a bigger part in the musical. He like mm-hmm. helps her pass her classes. And then he also has a number where she takes him shopping to get him like better clothes so that he looks hotter. <laughs> oh, I think that's the one that people like to sing to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was very fun. <laughs> okay, well, that sounds good. I, th- I would like to check it out indeed. Yeah. Then in 2009, there's a third film, which is called Legally Blondes. <laughs> Must which is watch about it. Elle's British. It is about Elle's British twin cousins. Wait, are they her twin cousins? <laughs> what does that mean? How can they're you be a twin? Cousins. <laughs> what? They're her cousins who are twins. <laughs> I'm reading from the official synopsis, which just says, Legally Blondes is about Elle's British twin cousins. Okay, so, but are they identical to her? Are they identical twins to her, or are they fraternal cousins? No, no, they're her cousins, and they are twins. Are they identical cousins, or fraternal cousins? (laughs) They're identical cousins. Wait, really? They look just like her. No. (laughs) Well, they do kind of look like her because that's the premise of the movie. But they aren't biologically identical to her. They're biologically identical to each other. It was a little confusing at first, but now I'm like, Emma, how are you not getting this? Who's who's playing them? Is it one person doing the parent trap thing? No, it's two real-life twins. It's Camilla and Rebecca Rosso. Uh, who are Janice and Jessica on The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Wait, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> this film is a direct DVD <laughs> entry in the series that was directed, I'm reading, directed by Savage Steve Holland. <laughs> is Savage capitalized? Well, there's a capital at the beginning, but not all the way through. <laughs> So it's part of his name, not Savage Steve. It's his writer's opinion name. of him. Savage Steve Holland. Wow. Just imagine what short film he must have made to get the kick. <laughs> and now, and now MGM is continually threatening that there's going to be a fourth film. Uh, that brings Reese back. In, apparently in 2018, they hired McCullough and Smith. We'll talk about this as we track their career, but they haven't had a movie produced since 2013. But they have been writing things since then. And they have been attached to movies. They just haven't been produced. So they got hired to write a draft for this fourth film. That then production gets delayed on because of the pandemic. And while things are delayed in 2020, they hire Mindy Kaling to write the script. Hmm. And they announced a date that it was supposed to come out in May 2022. Like six months from now. But I read an interview with Mindy Kaling from like three days ago. Where she was like, yeah, I'm still writing the script. Like, it's coming along well, but I'm still writing the script. So it's not going to come out in six months, considering it's not written. But it may come out at some point. Maybe. So is the original duo off the project now? Yeah, their draft just, I guess, got thrown out. Okay. Because they hired Mindy to, like, write a completely new story that she pitched, I guess. Is this going to be legally blondest triple indemnity? (laughs) 
Is the are you interested in seeing a legally blonde twenty twenty three and seeing Reese return? But I would be very excited to see all of the movies in this series. Honestly, any of them. I want to see her go to Congress. I know that's what she does in the next one. I want to no know what her, what her British cousins are getting up to in the barrister's office and in her jolly old England. I mean, like, can you imagine? Okay, so it's these two blonde teenagers and, like, John Cleese in a judge's uniform <laughs> shot on a single soundstage in an afternoon and direct to Disney Channel with it. I mean, isn't that, that's what you said happened, right? <laughs> that's basically it. Direct to DVD. The third build uh, actor in uh-huh. Legally Blondes does not even have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> God, <laughs> that's the third build. That's the, awesome. the first two being the identical twins. Yeah, the first two being the joint protagonist. Do you think they have twin dogs? Because that's what would really get me to watch it. I feel like if they did, it would be on the movie cover. Yeah, yeah. So when I saw Legally Blonde, May twenty twenty two, I was like, oh, we've got to, we've just got to add episodes where we watch these, <laughs> so we can watch the new one when it comes out. Yeah, but it, but I don't think it's actually coming out anytime soon. Oh, that's maybe true. whenever it is coming out, <laughs> we can just quickly do, do uh, Red, White, and Blonde and Legally Blondes back to back. Next up is that segment that we call Fine Wine: uh, things that aged well and things that perhaps did not age so well in this film. Kate, you're first up on Fine Wine. What are you sipping and what are you spitting back in the cup for today, <laughs> my friend? Oh my gosh. Okay, well, what I'm spitting, I'm thinking about what did not age well, because I was so surprised by how much of it did. That's what I said to Wade, actually, right before we started. I watched the movie with Wade on Friday, and right before we started it, I was like, I'm really scared that I think it holds up well, because I watched it a couple of years ago, but we're going to watch it, Uh-oh. and there's going to be something terrible in here that I just like didn't think about. Yeah. But I, I was surprised by how much of it, I think, held up but what i'm spitting is probably she does cut a little tiny bit trash brunettes a couple times which doesn't feel like it fits in with the theme of like women supporting women and everything and probably the i mean i don't know that i would take it out but what maybe didn't age great is uh actually no never hang on sorry I'm, go- I'm going back on myself. It's really hard for me to decide. About what? About what specific thing? Well, thinking? I was going to say about the scene that we talked about earlier, maybe Wade's favorite scene in the movie, where she slaps the guy and says, uh, uh-huh. you gave me the best pleasure of my life. <laughs> because what doesn't, yeah, what doesn't age well about that to me is like continuing to like enforce the idea that like a guy could be a lady killer and like we should all like want to be with like the super hot guy that like, because that, that's kind of the subtext is that she's saying like you never called me back and you're an asshole to me and she cried and all this stuff and that that's supposed to make like the other girls get into him the reason i'm going back on it is because it's just it's like very silly and i think the movie's aware of like how fun and silly that moment is that's what i'm zeroing in on i think there were some moments in the bend and snap montage (laughs) that were a little weird (laughs) but um yeah well, I think Paulette using the R word is like one of oh, yeah. uh, the only slur that makes it in this movie, thankfully, but is in this movie. So that did not age well. 
I just don't think you could make this movie today, but I'm not saying that as a good or a bad thing. But just like a comedy, I think that is this broad and then like also sprinkles in like real, like actual issues, I feel like would not be made. Like I feel like the sexual harassment plot of this movie would be like a 10 episode prestige HBO Max (laughs) series now where like she goes to the authorities and they don't listen to her and then like years later there's an expose and she comes back for revenge or something i don't know it just was very like shocking to me in this that like not like she doesn't really tell anyone like nothing sort of happens to the guy but she does still like win and we feel like the emotional impact of what happens and everyone seems to like immediately believe her and be on her side, even though she isn't really making a formal allegation. Like the teacher, the lady McGonagall teacher overhears her <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, is like, let's get that asshole or something. And it's just was, like crazy that she overhears like gossip in the salon and is like 100% down to support mm-hmm. this girl, which would never happen in real life. Um, and then, like, when Brooke hears about it, she's like, oh, then I'll fire the licensed lawyer and I'll have Elle do it. It seems, like, far-fetched and, like, that wouldn't happen. Um, but you're right, Wade. It still feels like she she triumphs over the that trial. The moment when Vivian hears about it, when they're, like, in the prison scene, she says, like, oh, I've made a huge mistake. And then there's a really long pause. And I thought that that was meaning that she had, like, done something more. Mm. but I think it was just like for the gravity of the situation but when she said that and there was like a huge pause I was thinking that maybe she had like told everyone or she had like put a complaint against Elle or like something else was going to be a big subplot yeah I also think outing the guy in the courtroom sort of against his will probably has not aged super well not least of all because like the deduction work that goes into it <laughs> is like a third grade homophobic taunt on a school bus where he's just like rapid fire asking him questions and he's like what'd you eat for breakfast what's your mom's name who's your boyfriend <laughs> and he yells it out and then the judge is like that proves it <laughs> But I do think, like, like the message of this movie has aged really well. I think it's interesting. I don't know where I fall on it. I think it's maybe an interesting dance around, like, the fact that the angry feminist character mm-hmm. also doesn't respect Elle is, like, a really inter... And that, like, she, like, combats that character so vehemently is, like, a very interesting part of this movie and like part of that thing like i do think that l woods is is like a feminist icon in some way but she's also not like she's not like trying to change the name of the semester to ovester <laughs> because she's more worried about the practical help of like helping out this other woman who is about to be put on murder trial and like that mm-hmm. there's like a more pressing issue at hand or something i'm not sure and it's like it's almost like a having to the protagonist having to distance themselves from absurdly woke liberalism to be able to do like pragmatic good in the world, mm. which I think is an interesting commentary from that time period. And I don't like I don't know what that is today. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that I dislike it. I do think it's interesting and complicated. I think that 
I think it's an honest depiction. And like, and that's why I think it's interesting is because I do think it's something that you would like see actually happen. It's a relationship that you can, like, you can picture those two characters in real Mm -hmm. life having that relationship. So that's why I think it's worth having and keeping in the movie. It's not just about them hating each other and there is like reconciliation, but I also want to call out something that I think we see in movies a lot today, but not a lot at the time, which is that Elle and Vivian become friends and sort of get mm-hmm. past their differences. That is like totally from McCullough and Smith. Yeah. Mm. A lot of this movie is, as you can tell from reading about all the different iterations and like the plot stuff they came up with. I don't know how much plot there is in the book, but clearly a lot of the movie is them coming up with. It. But that is totally like their purposeful purposeful inclusion is that they like start at odds and then kind of realize that the forces of the world are putting them at odds. And they actually kind of like each other. I think that's one of like my favorite parts about Elle's character is that she isn't, she has a lot of the like sorority stereotypes, which are fun. Like she does, she loves doing the formals and stuff and she loves fashion and that's her major. It's like, we were talking earlier about how we can't judge someone on only their appearance. That's kind of like the message of the movie. It isn't really only her appearance that they were judging her on. It is parts of her personality. The fact that she loves pink so much and has this little teacup chihuahua with her all the time. Like I think all of that is adding up to their picture of her. And and that is like some sorority like stereotypes, but the one that she doesn't participate in and that differentiates herself as a generous person is that she isn't thinking of other girls as like ugly or below her if they aren't as Mm. like if they don't act like she doesn't wear the same clothes as her even like when I think Paulette asks about Vivian and Elle is like she could use some mascara and highlights but like she's not totally unfortunate looking because she's so upset she wants um Warner to be with someone who's you know not Mm -hmm. as pretty as her which is because she's still in love with him but um anyway i appreciate that she still is so set on being vivian's friend and being kind to her all right friends kate first up mvp otp who would you say is your most valuable player other than l that's my only protagonist i'm giving you this was one of the few questions that i knew was coming and it was Mm -hmm. very difficult for me to decide i was thinking about it before the podcast I, I mean, I think I'm just going to have to say I'm contractually obligated to pick Jennifer Coolidge if she's available as an option. Yeah. So I'll I'll pick Paulette. She was really fun. I love everything Jennifer Coolidge does. And um, yeah, yeah, I would say Paulette. She's playing against type a little bit here, I feel like, because yeah. like normally she's very bossy and yeah. a, like in charge sort of character. And in this, she's like very shy and demure and has this... Yeah. Hilarious arc of not being able to speak at yeah. all. And that's, I think, what makes her line where she says, I'm taking the dog, dumbass, like, so <laughs> fun. Because that's what we all want from Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah. And when she finally spits it out, it's so triumphant. <laughs> right when this movie is, like, starting to lose momentum, or right when you're starting to be like, okay, what else is going on? It's like, here she comes. Just like... <laughs> be everything you want in this movie wait who would you say your mvp otp is well we've already talked about him but undoubtedly the mvp of this movie for me is mooney playing bruce (laughs) he's so good she is so good (laughs) he's so good and he's so compelling 
And like just the stuff that he does is is great. Yeah. I love him. He's a very good boy, very talented. <laughs> One of the best actors I've ever seen. <laughs> Emmett, who's your MVP? I think I'm gonna have to give it to Vivian. She does like she is playing a lot of different things in this movie. Honestly, probably goes through more of an arc as a character than Elle does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like has more different changes and plays more Mm -hmm. different things and i think she does a really good job especially because she doesn't have a lot of lines but we see a lot of it on her face she's got that one moment where she like puts her hands on the guy's shoulder so that l can see the ring (laughs) and you're like you know what you're doing i love vivian i think she does like such a good job in the movie as you pointed out she has so much to play Mm mm-hmm And I think it's very funny and cool because I feel like their physical types would be reversed in any other movie. Mm. Like, I feel like we are very used to sort of like mousy brunette protagonists who dress like kind of conservatively Mm -hmm. as like our main character and then like blonde, pink, rich, mean Mm. bullies. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I love that it's reversed in this movie. And then we have a rich blonde pink protagonist who we know is good and a rich brunette (laughs) conservative woman who we think is evil and we slowly see the good. Okay. Any other final thoughts about this film before we get to the quiz, which we usually call bums the word, but tonight I will be calling legally bummed in honor (laughs) of Wade's great joke. My last final thoughts are that I loved both the costume design and the score. Mm-hmm. All of Elle's outfits are awesome. I love her pink glasses. I think she has multiple pairs of pink glasses in this movie. And um, and the the outfit where she's in like the bikini top with the big furry pink jacket over it, sitting out on the lawn, like trying to get Warner's attention with her like pink fuzzy <laughs> pad and the pink, like it's just like the whole thing is so fun. <laughs> I love it. And the score is just so dramatic, like especially at the beginning when Warner's breaking up with her. I mean, it was almost like the Jaws, like Donna. <laughs> it was like, and um it just made the movie really fun wade any final thoughts i yes i love the score i think the score like sets the tone of the movie and also heightens it in like such Mm -hmm. a cool and huge and clever way uh and i think like because the score is so big and insane it like gives you permission to understand that you're watching a heightened world which I think 10 Things I Hate About You was also very heightened. I don't know. I think that's an awesome trick. And I wish that more movies would use the score as smartly as this movie does. I also think that there is uh, another real life joke about Owen Wilson in this movie. When Luke Wilson says, what would I look like if I was blonde? Yeah. <laughs> and my final thought is that I think this is movie is kind of interesting as like, a live action Barbie movie, mm. which mm. this is like not that far off from being maybe like a Malibu Barbie movie. Yeah. And I'm really interested to see how Greta Gerwig's actual live action Barbie movie with Margot Robbie sets itself apart from this movie and this character. 
Mm. Because I think it will have to in order to succeed. Yeah. Emmett, final thoughts? Two of them. First off, uh, having just watched a bunch of these horror movies, these slasher horror movies that also take place in like kind of a highly saturated world with like bright colors and lots of young people, watching mm. this was like... It was a palate cleanser, but it's also a little unnerving because you're like, wait, am I sure that at some moment Freddy Krueger isn't about to pop out of one of these people (laughs) and get him? Because this is exactly like the kind of dreamlike world where that might happen. So that's interesting. Always interested to see how different genres are like interacting when they get into the imagination. And then the last thing I want to say is in the very first scene when she's at the dinner and she's being broken up with early, early in the scene. Warner makes the dumb excuse that she is sad, that she like has a bad salad. This whole wild ass scene happens between them. And then as they're leaving in the background, like barely even like in the shot, like in it at all, you just hear someone saying, well, I certainly won't be having salad. And it is (laughs) the best joke in the whole movie. (laughs) That's what I got today. We were playing, you know, Kate, I know that you know that Wade worked with some lawyers at one point. And I believe yes. you also worked with some lawyers at one point, right? No, I've dated some. Okay, I have dated to work some. with them. Well, excellent. <laughs> then, then maybe you and Wade will be somewhat evenly matched on this. Uh, a game that I'm calling, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Waiter? <laughs> we, I pulled up a list of 50 common courtroom terms you should know. <laughs> And whichever of you can can explain to me what these terms mean in a way that I like more will win this quiz. Damn. Okay. I just want to say that last time I was on, the quiz theme was about rap music. And now it's about Wade's past career. So I really feel like this is unfair, but I will participate. This is still my current freelance career. So I hope I do not lose my job over this quiz. (laughs) Okay, uh, don't worry, we're not going to do all 50. (laughs) These are pulled from the pre-trial legal terms. All right, an arraignment. Kate, can you explain to me what the hell an arraignment is? Yes, an arraignment is like the preliminary, like in-person part of the court case. Like before that, it's all a lot of affidavits and fancy documents being submitted. And then an arraignment is when the judge is like, all right, get in here. We're going to actually talk about it. Okay, wait, <laughs> wait, wait. Uh, is, anything you would like to perhaps add or change about that description? Uh, or um, I may edit out this segment entirely. My coworkers listen to this show and they're going to learn that I don't know anything at all. Uh, an arraignment? Is that when they call you to court? Yes. Like you're arraigned, you're being called to court? There's a very simple answer that I'm (laughs) looking for here about what happens at this moment. That if either of you could provide that. Okay. um, The judge judge decides if it is going to go to trial. That's not in this one sentence description that I'm reading of it. Um, So it might happen, but, but there's one specific thing that I'm looking for. It has to do with the defendant. I don't know. <laughs> All right. It's where the defendant is asked to plead guilty or not guilty. 
Oh, okay, okay. So you're correct, and yes, it is when they ask you to come in and talk to them, Kate. <laughs> I guess, I guess you would get the point for that. Um, <laughs> all right. Next thing, what is a bench warrant? Wade has to go first, right? Wade has to go first for this one. <laughs> Dear listener, you can't see this because the podcast is not a term medium, but Wade is covering his face in shame. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, a bench warrant is just a, a warrant that you have been called to sit on the bench and testify in the court case. Yeah, it's like being subpoenaed, but as a person. <laughs> not as a peanut okay I think Wade gets it on that one but it's not when you are called to sit on the bench Wade no it's not it's because the bench has called you the bench being the judge oh yes alright we're gonna skip skip around a couple alright what I is... do know. Here's one thing I do know. <laughs> what, what's that? I do know that they are called either bench trials or jury trials. Okay. Depending on whether it's the judge okay. or a jury who is deciding. So. Well, that wasn't the question. Later. Well, yeah. If that had been the question, you would have a point. <laughs> he does know some things. Don't worry. Speaking of which, what is the definition of malfeasance? I know it's negative. <laughs> yeah, it's not benfeasance. <laughs> Malfeasance is like playing dirty. Um, it's not quite breaking the law, but it's in. Oh, no, no. Okay. It's in, in trial or during the case. You can act with malfeasance if you aren't following what's considered kosher. <laughs> kosher. <laughs> There's a specific word that I'm looking for that you have not said yet. Wait, what? what is malfeasance? You're correct. Most of what you've said is correct, okay. but you're still like around the definition rather than on it. Is it neglect? No, not exactly. Simply, it refers to the act being intentionally wrong. So malfeasance is when you are huh. you are intentionally doing something that you know to be legally or morally wrong. Okay. That seems like an interesting point to prove. All right. Recusal, something Wade might like to do now. <laughs> um, recusal is when you, like, take yourself back. I'm trying to think of, like, the more succinct word. <laughs> but it's when you say, actually, I would no longer like to be doing this. In regards to being in a court case. Kate, anything to add to that? Yeah, I'd like to offer an alternate definition. Mm -hmm. Recusal is when you invite a very kind guest onto a podcast to make her look like an idiot in front of everyone because she doesn't know what any words mean. (laughs) Okay, finally, um, I'm going to have to give it to Kate on that one. That's called manipulation, everyone. And for the final one, one a uh, term that actually appears in Legally Blonde, mens rea. I think it's an act prohibited by law that is not in and of itself evil, like jaywalking. But I'm getting the no face from Emmett. That is entirely different than what I think it is. But I remember that when they explained it in the movie, I was like, oh, that's not what I thought it was. 
I, I just remember her saying that, but I don't know if that was the word that she was defining, but I remember her giving it as a definition to something. I don't remember this having anything to do with what it, th- what it said. It was very different from what I also, what I heard in the movie. So that's why okay. I was having a strange face on okay. for a second. It means the guilty mind. It is mm-hmm. literally the criminal mind. Ooh. Yeah. Maybe it was a different part of the movie. Maybe it was. That it knows. came up. Okay. Okay. Well, You've both won the game. <laughs> Get this. The the game that you're currently winning is not having to know about this crap because you are not lawyers <laughs> or law students. And to that, may I say congratulations, both of you. You have managed not to do that with your life. Thank you. Well, Kate, do you have any places or any plugs that the people may find your work at? I know at one point back in the Anderson University shop, Wade had a my head shop up on the cork board but other than that that's pretty much all you can, you can find me. Uh, i unfortunately am a little off the grid don't have anything online you can find but you can text me if you have my number and we can have a facetime call and what's that number okay. if you have my number is my direct <laughs> quote that i'll repeat <laughs> And Emmett, what's your number? Six six six, and then bleep the rest out. <laughs> Join us in thirty-five weeks when we discuss Jordan Peele's Nope. Until then, we'll be keeping you satisfied with the rest of McCullough and Smith. That will begin with. <laughs> we'll be giving you the best satisfaction of your life next week <laughs> when we cover. Ella Enchanted, (laughs) a book that I remember a very strangely specific part of and basically nothing else. Uh, Join us next week when we discuss the high craftsmanship of the elf sculptor Agulin and his wolf sculptures. The only part of Ella Enchanted that I remember. Stay frosted, everybody. You know we will. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.